Although the way Easter moves around, you never know. Sorry. We say Happy Easter today because Easter isn't just one day. We often celebrate it as one day, and I imagine none of you all had baskets filled with candy or egg hunts this morning. My family, on the other hand, has Easter egg hunts all year long, uh, but that's because my kid is weird, not because of any big theological point. We don't celebrate today like we did last Sunday, but nevertheless, today is still Easter. Easter is a season in the life of the church. Easter is a 50-day period during which we celebrate the resurrection and the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And we need Easter to be a season rather than a day. The reason for which is the point of today's sermon. If Easter is a day that we celebrate, then what we are celebrating is an event. Easter as a day is about remembering and celebrating that Jesus, who was crucified, came back to life, which is certainly an event worth celebrating. But that isn't all that Easter is about. If Easter is a season, then Easter is not just about commemorating an event, but about being invited into a new way of living. It's about getting caught up in something. It's about how we live and the choices we make and the rhythms of our lives. Last week, to great sadness, the college basketball season ended. It culminated in the national championship game this past Monday night. Sorry, John. I was really pulling hard for, for Go Blue. During the college basketball season, I developed new habits and have different rhythms to my life. I watched about 30 North Carolina basketball games this season, which I know makes me an obsessive. But that meant that my schedule, my time, were oriented around the UNC schedule. Most weeknights, our TV was tuned to a basketball game of some kind. For the last month, starting with conference tournaments and then going through March Madness, I have been watching college basketball nonstop and even my 16-month-old can attest to that because he now knows what basketball is because whenever basketball was on, he would point to the TV and go, Papa! <laughs> now, this weekend, I literally have no idea what to do with my time. What, what do I watch? What do I do? And actually, the answer is the Masters Golf Tournament. But come Monday, I have no idea what to do with my time. Baseball. The point is, seasons change us. Seasons change things up. Seasons cause us to develop new practices and rhythms. And when seasons finish, we realize something is different. Easter is a season because the resurrection of Jesus is not just something that happened to someone else a long time ago. The resurrection of Jesus is something that changes the way we think, the way we live, and the world that we live in. The season of Easter invites us to live as Easter people, as people marked by and changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what does that change and that transformation look like? For that, we turn to Scripture. But I want to give a note on what our sermon series will be this Easter. It's called I love the Bible. 
We look to the Bible for what it means to live changed lives, transformed by the light, message, story, and season of Easter. But the Bible is filled with these stories of people transformed by God. The Bible is filled with crazy, beautiful, strange, awesome, surprising stories of God's grace, rocking and changing the lives of people who, upon closer examination, behave a whole lot more like we do than the saintly image we often project onto people of the Bible. So I want to tell some strange, awesome, wonderful, profound, what do you mean that's in their stories from the Bible. And I hope we will see how real, how living, how human, how divine, how gracious, how deep this book is. One of the stories involves a talking donkey. Spoiler alert. Y'all think I'm kidding. Our first story comes to us, however, from John's Gospel. No talking animals in this one. But before we get into it, let me set the stage. John recounts the resurrection in a similar way to the other Gospels. We read it last week. Women go to the tomb and they find no body. They freak out. Other disciples come and find no body. The writer says that he wins a race. I'm wondering if Peter has anything to say about that. Mary sees Jesus and finds out he has been raised from the dead. She tells the other disciples. Then John talks about how all of the disciples, minus Thomas, encounter the risen Christ. And Thomas hears about it and doubts. Then Jesus appears to all the disciples, including Thomas, and Thomas believes. I tell you all this as context for the story because it's going to become important to remember that the disciples have seen the risen Jesus, some of them multiple times, by the point we get to in this story. Let's read through the story and then we'll walk through it. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. <coughs> then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Then the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They already knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to him, and he did the same with the fish. 
This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I do. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's a lot going on in this story, so we're going to walk through it. So Simon Peter, Thomas, who's also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So that it went out in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Fishing was what Simon had done before he met Jesus. Fishing is what the sons of Zebedee had done before they met Jesus. When Jesus calls them, he tells them to put down their nets, for he will make them fishers of people. And yet, here they are, after Jesus has died, going to fish for fish. They're going backwards. They're returning to their old life. Which makes sense if they're coping with their grief. If they were dealing with the sadness of Jesus' death, I could understand the desire to go fish. Returning to, to normal life now that their movement had failed. But here's the thing. Jesus was alive, and they knew it. They knew he had been raised from the dead. Jesus had already appeared to them multiple times. They should have known what was going on. And yet they go fishing. They still go backwards. In some respects, we can see spelled out here that the disciples don't know what to do next. They don't know how to move forward in the light of Easter. Their problem is our problem. We suffer from the same thing. Sometimes we cannot be sure how to move forward in the light of Easter. Sometimes we want to resume our old lives and go about as if nothing has happened. The problem is, it just doesn't work. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, which is exactly how I imagine them answering no. No. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. They go fishing and they can't catch a thing. Nothing. Experienced fishermen can't get a nibble. That's not how they would have fished, but you know the point. Going back to their old life doesn't work for them. How often is it true for us? 
We go back to life as we've lived. Sorry. We go back to life as we've lived it after experiencing God's grace and God's love and God's new life. And our old life just doesn't work. It doesn't yield the same results. Or the results that it yields are no longer meaningful or important to us. We don't get any fish. Then, as they are bringing in the boat, a stranger appears on the shoreline. Catch any fish, he says. Question. <laughs> a dejected Peter says no. The stranger says, did you try the other side? To have been a fly on that boat when that question was asked. We've only been out here all night. No, none of us thought, none of us fishermen thought to just try the other side. Sorry. I don't know what brings them to try the other side. I know I would have said a number of things and never once tried the other side. But lo and behold, it finally works. They haul in more fish than their nets can hold. They can't even pull the nets onto the boat, there are so many fish. So they walk the net in. And it is in that moment that the disciples realize it's not some rando who's been telling them to try the other side of the boat, but it's Jesus, the risen Lord. That's why. I imagine they were overjoyed to see Jesus again, and perhaps also a tad embarrassed. Embarrassed that they have been caught returning to their former way of life. So they go ashore with their fish, and they have a little fresh catch for breakfast. Quick tangent. I think you're surprised. <laughs> John's Gospel is full of Easter stories that involve people touching Jesus, or Jesus eating, or Jesus doing embodied things like passing bread and fish. That's because John didn't come, or not John, that's because Jesus didn't come back as a super real looking spirit. Jesus didn't appear as an apparition. It's important for John that his readers realize that the risen Christ with whom the disciples interacted was real in a body, a real body, a physical body, a body that could move through uh, locked doors, but a body that could pass out bread and fish. It's a body that we can touch. It's a body that needs food. It's a body that can be hugged. It's a real body, and our hope of sharing in Christ's resurrection will involve a real body as well. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a metaphor. It's real, it's embodied, as real as you and me. But back to the story. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, you, Lord, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. After breakfast, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. 
Only in this conversation, Jesus calls him Simon. Simon, do you love me? Jesus asks. Simon was Peter's name before Jesus calls him. Jesus renames Peter after Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. When Jesus calls him Simon, he is affirming and pointing out that Peter has gone backwards. But Jesus wants to bring him forward. So he asks Peter if Peter loves Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter what to do in the new resurrection life if he indeed loves Jesus. Feed my lambs, Jesus says. Take care of my sheep, Jesus says. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. Jesus wants Peter to return his focus to people. Who are Jesus' sheep? Previously in John's Gospel, Jesus has called himself the shepherd and said that his sheep hear his voice and they follow. Who are Jesus' sheep? They are the people who listen to Jesus, who follow Jesus, who need to move forward in the light of Jesus' resurrection. They need to be fed. They need to be taken care of. They need to be led. They need a pastor. They need a shepherd. <coughs> Being an Easter person means taking care of Jesus' sheep. It means feeding people. It means clothing people. It means healing people. It means befriending people. It means caring for people. It means loving our neighbors, our coworkers, our acquaintances. It means loving the guy standing in the median. It means loving our boss. It means loving people who annoy us, the people who inconvenience us, the people whom we so badly want to ignore. It means actively reaching out to people that hate us, the people that want to harm us, and saying, we love you, and nothing can change that. It means coming to church and packaging thousands of meals to send abroad to impoverished areas like we're going to do next week. That's why one of your next steps is to come back next week and package meals to literally feed Jesus' sheep. It means going and feeding the hungry and homeless in our community like folks from this church do every single week on Wednesday nights at Streetlight Ministries. That's why another one of your next steps is to go and participate in that feeding program. It means helping children learn the stories of our faith, whether on a weekly basis, Ms. Janice would love to have you, or during an intentional mission to children in our community this summer at Community Vacation Bible School. It means engaging in mission and ministry within our community. But lest we pat ourselves on the back too much, we do need to look at the little tricky bit there at the end. Jesus says this very cryptic thing to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus tells Peter that following Jesus, loving Jesus, living into the resurrection of Jesus, will mean that Peter will die. In a way that glorifies God, yes, but Peter will die. He will be led to his death. 
he will be executed. Then Peter is told to follow Jesus all the same. When I think about Peter returning to his old life, when I think about Peter going fishing, and doing so even in light of knowing Jesus had risen from the dead, I wonder if deep down, Peter somehow knew that following Jesus would lead to his execution. If Peter thought, if I do what I know I need to do, I will suffer the same fate as Jesus. And that's why he goes fishing. He goes fishing not because fishing is the most satisfying thing to do, not because it's the thing that gives him meaning, but because it's the safest thing to do. If Peter follows Jesus and continues spreading the gospel message, Peter will likely be executed. If Peter goes fishing, he likely won't die. Was it fear that drove Peter to fish? Was it fear that drove Peter to resume his old way of life? Was it fear that drove Peter away from taking the gospel message that Jesus, whom the Romans crucified, was now risen? Was it fear that kept Peter from feeding and taking care of Jesus' sheep? What does fear keep us from doing? How does fear keep us from stepping forward fully into a life following Jesus? Who does fear keep us from loving? Are we worried that if we are generous, we will face financial ruin? Are we worried that if we love that person, what hurts do we open ourselves up to? Are we worried that if we fully follow Jesus, we will have to give up something we hold dear? What are we afraid of? What fears do we have from fully becoming Easter people? I wonder if that's why Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. I wonder if that's why Jesus couched it in terms of love. Not, are you my disciple? Not, do you believe? But do you love me? And I wonder if that's because the only thing that can compel us in the face of fear is love. What could make Peter overcome his fears? What could make fear seem surmountable? Love. We started all this with the question, what does it mean to live in the light of Easter, in the light of the resurrection? And meanderingly, we find the answer. It means to love Jesus over and above our fears. It means loving Jesus so much we are willing to risk. Loving Jesus so much that we are willing to be vulnerable. Loving Jesus so much that we are willing to have hope. Hope that no matter what happens to us in this life, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will be faithful unto us. As we learn to love Jesus, let us also follow him. Let us pray.